Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. This week we bring you Part 2 of The Study of Anglophysics by Scott Alexander. A week after that incident, I finally got the nanofactory, with great creaking and protesting, to extrude a small aircraft, so I could explore the surrounding area. The villagers were delighted, having never seen anything similar, and several of them demanded rides, increasing our popularity a little after the methane debacle. When we were done appeasing the natives, I took off and started mapping at Wellia. We seem to be at the southernmost extent of an island, about 300 miles east to west, and twice that north to south. The island was mostly forested, except for the broken volcanic area nearby where we had gotten the methane, and some hills further north. 400 miles east of us, there seemed to be another continent or large island, but that was about the limit of my range, and so I told myself I would explore the new land another day. The distances allowed me to do some geometry and calculate the size of the world. Adwellia appeared to be a spherical planet about the size of the Earth. As far as I could tell, it had one sun and one moon, and there were normal stars in the sky. It seemed to get colder further north and warmer further south, though I wasn't able to fly far enough to confirm it had proper poles and an equator. By the time I finished these explorations, about a week after they began, Lachlan had developed a new obsession. I can't solve the letter isolation problem, but someone else can. Someone like Einstein. Great, I said sarcastically. All we need is... Then it hit me. Surely he wasn't that crazy. Yes, why not synthesize Einstein? Or some other brilliant scientist who's more creative than we are? I've been going through the dictionary looking for proper combinations. It's not that hard. This proved optimistic, but the equation upon which we eventually settled was stone plus tin plus fort equals Einstein plus fire. The only difficulty was obtaining the fort, since the villagers here did not seem to be of a militaristic bent. But I had found some ruins further north during my explorations, and one of them did indeed seem to be an old stone fort perhaps constructed by the villagers' ancestors. I proposed we get a party of villagers to help quarry fort materials, but Lachlan objected that they would probably just have some stupid taboo about it. So instead, I landed there with the aircraft and laboriously ferried fort parts home in 20-pound increments on my lap. Once we had enough fort to stoichiometrically produce Einstein, getting the stone and tin was easy, but getting the reaction to work proved impossible. No matter how many physics books we stuck around our apparatus, no matter how hard we concentrated on the great scientist, the reaction spat out absurd things, like ferns, nits, and a tooting sound, or forests, nits, and one-ton weights, or a nose with a tit in the front, which, trust me, was really awkward, and which we threw into the nanofactory disassembler chute as soon as we could, believe you me. After about 30 tries, Lachlan announced that the problem was obvious. You see, we needed a capital E. I grudgingly admit that, even after two months in a world where stone was composed of S, T, O, N, and E, the thought that there were different atomic units representing lowercase and capital E's seemed absurd. 
But, as always, my sense of impossibility surrendered to crazy reality, and I figured that Lachlan was probably right. We needed a capital E. Two days later, Lachlan showed up at the laboratory with a very suggestive-looking sack. Lachlan, what were you just out doing? I said, hoping the answer was anything other than what I knew it was going to be. Just grave, Robin. I got us the corpse of a lady named Edder, who died of pneumonia yesterday. Don't worry, no one saw me take it. Oh, come on! When they find the grave disturbed, who are they going to suspect? The other villagers who they have known their whole lives? Or the mysterious strangers on the storm-wracked cape outside of town who have already violated their sacred taboos? Lachlan, you are a fucking idiot. Maybe I am. But if I'm so stupid, good thing we'll have Albert fucking Einstein around to help provide some brains for this operation. The new equation was Edder plus tin plus snail equals Einstein plus lard. So God help us, we hired some villagers to collect snails for us. And when we had hundreds, we poured poor Edder's bones into the reaction chamber along with the snails and some tin and started the sound and Einstein started to grow. At first he was tiny, smaller than the methane man in Lachlan's palm had been, no bigger than the snails that surrounded him. But as bones and metal and snails slammed into him, he grew bigger, all the while screaming and covering his ears as the sonic ray did its gruesome work. We saw him, child-sized, beating up against the glass wall of the reaction chamber, ever-growing, ever screaming. You're mad. We've got to stop this. Maybe I am. But think! Einstein! The greatest scientist in recorded history. Think what we could do! Revolutionize not only our study of Adwellia, but we could bring him back with us, get the lab to translate him as well as us. We could turn Adwellia into a genius factory that would revolutionize civilization back on Earth. Omar, this has to be done! The potential in Anglophysics makes a Nobel Prize look like a t-ball trophy. When Einstein was fully formed and released from the reaction chamber, he attacked us. We subdued him using weapons extruded from the nanofactory and kept him in a cell. For three days we tried to talk to him and he responded by screaming wordlessly at us and spitting in our faces. I don't know whether there was something theological going on, whether Einstein was just a homunculus lacking a true soul, or whether it was just very simply that our Einstein was psychologically an infant, that no one had taught him so much as language, let alone physics, and that Adwell, or whoever was up there, wasn't going to assume we meant the smart Einstein who knows lots of stuff in the way we wanted. Our Einstein was a giant infant. Not even an infant. A fetus that should never have been born. On the third day, by mutual consent, we stuck him in the nanofactory disassembly chute and resolved never to speak of him again. Six. That was the last time I worked together with Lachlan on anything of note. After that, we retreated to our separate aluminum huts, acknowledging each other only when our paths crossed on the way to the nanofactory for some crucial part. 
I found him creepy. He was creepy. And he thought I was holding back our research. Maybe that was true, too. In either case, it was a terse nod, a couple of words, and the tacit acknowledgement that it wasn't worth resolving our hostility in the month or so we had left before we were transferred back. I spent that last month trying to build on my theory that Adwell's mind was somehow working behind the scenes running everything. The catalytic property of the sound, I theorized, was its ability to get Adwell's attention. It was a sort of, Hey God, look over here! We're doing science! Better apply the laws of physics right away! I know it sounded bizarre, but my early experiments bore me out. Rapidly flashing bright lights seemed to speed reactions almost as well as sound. So did, because sometimes the simplest solution is the best, shouting, Adwell, look over here! With these advances, once again entirely new classes of reaction became possible. No longer were we limited to the highly reactive simple materials with short names. Long strings of words, complex abstractions, even adjectives came within our reach. It was exciting. But once again, it was Lachlan who was really pushing the frontiers. One night, he started banging on my door. Omar! I did it! When I went out, he practically dragged me into his hut, which was nearly piled floor to ceiling with papers that turned out, on inspection, to be various IQ tests the nanofactory must have been carrying in its databanks. What did you do? I couldn't create Einstein, so I decided to turn myself into Einstein. Look, I'm producing smart, and it's working. His sonic ray, now only a fraction of the power of my own multimodality parasonic device, was reacting smoke and carts into coke and, apparently, smart. A complicated system of tubes and centrifuges was catching the smart and binding it into a containment chamber linked to a helmet. Clearly someone was supposed to put it on. And you're saying it works? The IQ tests don't lie. I was 152 two weeks ago. Now I'm consistently getting in the 160s. Judging by the number of tests, he must have been obsessively checking his numbers every hour or so. Now, I'm going to try that letter isolation thing again. I judged by the shouts of rage and frustration Ah! I heard over the next few days that it wasn't working. Two days later, Lachlan asked me if he could borrow my advanced parasonic ray. I refused. That evening, it went missing for about three hours before turning up on top of my desk. I noticed Lachlan now had one exactly like it. I soldiered on. In between my experiments, I played a little game predicting what Lachlan was trying to synthesize by the objects he took from the nanofactory and the supplies he ordered brought in from the village. One day, it was buckets of dew, carts full of animal legs, and an entire cage of live minks. My best guess was he was trying to get knowledge, but I couldn't get the stoichiometry to line up. Judging from his screams of frustration that night, neither could he. The next week, it was load after load of potatoes, fence posts, and a tank of minnows. It took me half an hour to come up with omnipotence, even though once I made myself start thinking like Lachlan, it was obvious. I started to become worried. 
One day, three months and two weeks into our mission, and only 14 days short before we hoped the laboratory would re-establish contact, I went out for a sortie with the plane and came back to find a disaster area. Our huts had been smashed open. The nanofactory had big dents in its aluminum casing. Inside, all my lab equipment had been broken, my papers thrown on the floor haphazardly. I went into Lachlan's hut. IQ tests everywhere. He was missing. So was his parasonic ray. I figured they had grabbed my partner in his sleep before he'd had time to resist. In retrospect, we really should have put up some defenses, but we hadn't expected to need them. The nanofactory was still online. It was pretty hard to break, especially if, as I suspected, the vandals were villagers armed with clubs and rocks. I told it to extrude me some overwhelmingly powerful weaponry. After making me wait an hour, it gave me a ring that upon threat would instantaneously unfold into a device that generated an invincible barrier around the wearer, plus a handheld matter disruptor. Thus armed, I walked into the village and found Somon. I didn't have to bring up the subject of Lachlan. Is evil man, the headmaster told me as soon as he saw me. Broke taboos, created life, dug up grave. And today, today was worst. Kidnapped my daughter, Jania. No more okay. Today gets beaten. Tomorrow dies. Raising my invincibility shield, I wandered into the public square. There, whipped bloody and tied to a post, was Lachlan. You kidnapped the headmaster's daughter? I didn't even give him the dignity of pretending to doubt whether it was true. Lachlan smiled. Jania, a perfect name for my reaction. I could have been a genius with a capital G. I don't know if it was that smile, or the blood all over him, or the lack of remorse in his voice, but at that moment, I'd had it with Dr. Lachlan Fairchild. I lowered the matter disruptor. You know, that's it. I'm not even going to rescue you. You're a menace. You don't have a choice. I have a nuke. These people don't understand the concept, but lucky we've got a genius like yourself. Let me go or I blow this entire planet sky high. Even if you manage to extrude a nuke, which you didn't because I checked the nanofactory's public records before I left, even then nukes don't work in this world. Nuclear fission isn't an anagram of anything. A metaphorical nuke. I mean, I figured out this world's equivalent of a nuke. It's very clever. Without the smart, I never would have been able to think of it. I'll... My best course was to immediately, like, split-second immediately, raise the matter disruptor and shoot Lachlan. I could do it before he had a chance to react, and it would solve the whole damn problem. Instead, I took the worst course, which was to raise the matter disruptor, obviously intending to shoot him, and vacillate at the last moment because I'd never killed anyone before and I wasn't sure I had it in me. And instead of finding out, my brain wanted to sit and ponder this for 30 seconds. Lachlan took a ring off his finger and unfolded it to reveal his parasonic ray. Then he furrowed his brow in concentration and it let out a screech. I shot the matter disruptor. Man, post, and town square changed into their component atoms. Letters. Whatever. The villagers ran, screaming. Some of them ran away from the explosion. 
Others ran towards the explosion, trying to see what had happened and maybe defend their homes and families. A few arrows and stones came toward me, causing my ring to nearly instantaneously unfold into a weird backpack-like device that placed itself on my back and surrounded me with a purple glow. The projectiles hit my new invincibility shield and fell to the ground limply. I calmly walked through the carnage. I was heading back a kilometer south, back to the Cape. I was going to extrude a larger aircraft, bring the nanofactory a few hundred miles away, and wait out the last two weeks of exile far away from this mob. The ground started to shake. I realized the explosion had ended long ago, yet its deafening roar had not subsided. I looked back to the town square, and my blood turned cold. In the center of the blast radius, where not even dust should have remained, there was Lachlan's skull, set in the biggest rictus grin I had ever seen. I raised the matter disruptor and fired another shot. The skull disintegrated. But Cheshire Cat-like, somehow the grin remained, even larger than before, a smile without a substrate. This was bad. I started to run back to the lab. Cracks opened in the ground around me. The roar became worse. Was it just me, or was the sea getting closer? Metaphorical nukes. A nuke was, at the most basic level, a chain reaction. Neutron produces energy plus neutron. That neutron produces energy plus neutron. That neutron, and so on. You end up with a lot of energy. I could see the remains of the looted lab now in front of me. It was on its elevated headland reaching into the sea, and I was afraid the rising water was going to cut it off and turn it into an island before I could get to it. Sound drove chemical reactions in this world. Anything that could create sound had the potential to be a chain reaction if the reactants were common enough. You could get most of the letters of sound from... Oh... That wasn't good. The cracks in the ground got bigger as the low-lying ground started to sink further beneath the waves. I stared back at the village. It was almost entirely underwater now. Above it was Lachlan's disembodied grin, now the size of a skyscraper, hanging in the sky. Sound, ground. Grin, sin. There. I had it. Ground plus sin equals sound plus grin. The nuke. The ground was essentially limitless until the world was destroyed. The more ground was destroyed, the more people died, the more villages sunk under the waves. A sin. A reaction that created its own reactants. And sound created its own reactants and its own catalyst, leaving nothing but Lachlan's gigantic, triumphant grin hanging in the sky over the world he was destroying. I groaned as a crack in the ground took the aircraft on its field. It teetered for a second, then fell into the onrushing waves. I ran through ankle-deep water and at last reached the top of the headland. There was just a small area of land left, on the highest ground of the cape, with our two little partially smashed huts and the bulky dented aluminum nanofactory. Extrude boat! I commanded the nanofactory. 
Extruding boat, said the display. Estimated creation time with material on hand, two hours. Cancel! 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 But the factory had gotten into its extrusion mode and wasn't listening. I ran into my hut. Most of my stuff was still broken. There was nothing that looked like a good flotation device unless you counted my mattress. My reaction apparatus, my parasonic ray, and a few doodads. I grabbed the ray gun and ran outside. Even on the high ground, there were wavelets lapping at my shoes. I had about a minute before I drowned. Okay, I said to myself. Time to figure something out. Time to create a boat. And there was only one good reactant on hand. Ocean plus... No, that wouldn't work. Sea plus... That was even worse. Water plus... I might be able to use water if I let the reaction consume my bones. Water plus bone equals boat plus newer. No. Even with the parasonic ray, I'd never be able to catalyze a reaction that made a comparative adjective of all things. Maybe if I had an hour to think of some useful intermediaries. Okay, back up. You don't need a boat, you can use a ship. Ship is... My brain was in panic mode. It didn't want to anagram ship. What it wanted was escape. The cape! The cape could provide escape! The cape and the sea! The two things I had! And my parasonic gun was just strong enough to let me synthesize abstractions. I just needed somewhere to put that extra A. Water plus A equals aware plus T. No, nature abhors non-words. T won't work. Water plus A equals raw T. No, adjectives took forever. War T? I wasn't sure what would happen if I caused a war at this point, but I bet it wouldn't be good. A wave rushed over me, and I rose to the top, sputtering and gasping. I still had the parasonic ray. The water had almost covered the huts now. Born on the receding wave came Lachlan's stupid piles of IQ tests, now soaked. Cape plus test equals escape plus two times letter T. On the one hand, nature abhorred non-words. On the other hand, I couldn't swim and was about to drown. I concentrated really hard on the reaction, turned the parasonic ray to its highest setting, and shot a beam of sound and strobe light and repetition of the name Adwill at the pile of tests and the rocky cape below. Nothing happened. The low charge light began to flash on my parasonic ray. It had been a stupid, desperate gambit. I'd already known I didn't have enough energy to do a reaction that created non-words. Didn't know if that was even possible with any energy. And I had just drained my parasonic ray of almost all its charge. I had made a terrible error. ERROR! That's it! Adwell! ERROR! Cape plus test plus two times error equals escape plus two times terror. As I fell under the waves with my last breath and last bit of charge, I fired off the parasonic ray one last time. It's not working, I thought to myself. It's not working and I'm going to die, lost under the sea, dead forever. 
I spent half a minute just thrashing about in terror before I realized that meant it was working. The water was receding. A bubble of air was spreading away from me in all directions as the water was consumed. I was saved. Still terrified, but saved. Then the water started closing in on me again. I didn't know what was happening. I'd done it, hadn't I? Succeeded in creating a reaction that would get me out? Success. That was the problem. If I had succeeded in creating a reaction, then firing the parasonic ray hadn't been an error. The reaction couldn't take place. The water closed in on me again. I was going to die. The water started to recede. If the success of the reaction prevented me from having made an error, then the reaction wouldn't work, and starting the reaction was an error. And so, the reaction could take place. All this I saw clearly, as in a dream, from within my bubble of air. The air bubble under the rising sea's sinking ground reached a size of about 20 meters, large enough to cover the cape and the two huts and the nanofactory, and then stopped, occasionally shrinking a little or growing a little, always seething, starting to burn with a weird energy. From within the anglo-physical terror clouding my mind, I recognized the problem as a novel version of the Epimenides paradox of self-reference, implemented on a physical substrate. If my initiation of the anglo-physical reaction had been an error, then I would escape, and it hadn't been an error after all. But if my initiation of the reaction had not been an error, then I would not escape, and in fact, it would have been an error. I had a vague memory that I had once discussed Russell's paradox with Dr. Adwell. I wished I could have remembered what he said. The interface between air and water became turbulent, started to glow. I saw fantastic images projected upon it, weird fractal geometries, strange supersensory stimuli that somehow reminded me of Lovecraft's references to the beckoning piping from the void behind space. All the while, the terror grew, and the bubble began to vacillate wildly. Then there was a great pop, and I thought for a second my air bubble had popped. But more correctly, everything had popped. And for a second, the things that were nothing like piping sounds became unbearable. Then I found myself lying, still terrified, on the floor of the translation chamber of our laboratory, the very same place where I had entered Adwellia almost four months before. 7. When I had recovered my senses and debriefed my colleagues, I devised three theories for what had happened there on the Cape. First, that my reaction had been successful beyond my wildest dreams. The paradox had resolved in my favor, and I had escaped not only to firm ground, but to my own home dimension. Second, that the paradox had been so confusing and unbearable for poor Adwell that he had expelled me from his consciousness, like a man brushing a bug off his skin, and having been kicked from his world, I naturally defaulted to my own. And third, that implementing a paradox on a physical substrate was really, really bad, and I had destroyed Adwellia. This last possibility ought in theory to be testable, 
but I was informed upon my return that the budget was tight this year and that the necessary supercomputing resources to search for Edwellia will not be available for some time. I have been assigned to another project, and although my superiors have thanked me for my work in Adwellia, I am certain they do not believe a word of my report and have written the entire expedition, and perhaps their decision in hiring me, off as a loss. In their place, I would not do otherwise. But from your writings, I gather you are a man of unusual intellect, and some of your speculations come uncomfortably close to the truth. I do not know whether you have pursued your interest in Berkeleyan idealism further, but if you are so gracious as to believe my story, or at least keep an open mind, I would be interested in further correspondence with you about the implications of Anglophysics for future imaged worlds, and how the consistency of such images might be assured against paradoxes of self-reference and other threats to their integrity. Yours sincerely, Dr. Omar Reyes. University of blank. P.S. I hope you will be understanding when I say that I wish to restrict my future work in the imaged world field to a purely theoretical level. End. Dwayne Bradle is Lachlan. Brian Jones is Soman. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Background music includes Battle Action by Must Save Jane. The intro and outro music is Tentacles by the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for Comes the Huntsman, 